If you would take your scriptures and turn with it, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, we'll be reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 23. Philippians 4, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Udi and I employ Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you because your statutes are wonderful. We love to obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We come to you out of breath, longing for a word from you. Please, turn to us and have mercy on us, as you always do for those who love you. Direct our footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over us. Redeem us from the oppression of men, that we may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servants and teach us your decrees. Streams of tears flow from our eyes when your law is not obeyed. Give us strength, O Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Our text this morning is found in Philippians 4, 9. 
I imagine that there are a number of you who will remember the name Kevorkian. They called him Dr. Death. He passed away in 2011. He believed a man had a right to end his own life whenever he thought the quality of life was less than what he wanted. In other words, he believed suicide should be legal. He went even so far as to offer his murder for hire services to help people commit suicide. He was eventually convicted of second degree murder in 1999 and spent six years in jail. In verse 9, Paul says your quality of life does not come from how much mobility you have, how little pain you experience, how few troubles have overtaken you. Instead, your true quality of life comes from how much you think on the things of God. There is a lot of talk about today among certain groups about the mission of the church. Different churches believe different things about it. Some of those groups focus only on evangelization and never teach those evangelized how to walk a consistent Christian life. The other side of this would be those who want to have all application in their messages and no doctrine. What is the real mission of the church? The mission of the church is to make disciples and teach them all God commanded them to follow. That means the people in the church need to be taught the great doctrines of the church so they can can go out and witness for Jesus Christ, evangelizing all they meet. What is it Christ called you to be? He said, you're to be a light, a light set on a hill for all to see. You're to be salt in a flavorless world. In other words, you must be aware of your duties to all those around you who are lost and dying. Paul knew how well you accomplished this task would depend on how well you did yourself at living the Christian life. It depends on how much of the message preached penetrates your heart. Paul was writing to a people who were living in a strange and hostile land. A group who were aliens and strangers. A people surrounded by pagans. They lived in an extremely permissive society and he was very concerned with all that was going on in their hearts and thoughts. Well, the last several weeks, we've considered the importance of your thought life. How do your thoughts fit into your salvation and your everyday Christian living? Paul declared you must think on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, and praiseworthy. You're instructed to think on these kinds of things and to discipline your mind to dwell on them. The apostle is concerned with the quality of the Christian's life. He understands what real quality of life is and where it comes from. He knows this real quality begins in your heart and it comes out of your thought life. He makes it clear this kind of quality of life comes only when a person is born again. There will forever be a fundamental difference between the quality of life of the believer and the non-believer. The Christian is required, required, 
to think in a particular way. His thought life is to always be Christ-centered. And he must live accordingly. The non-believer has a whole different way of looking at life. His life is always self-centered. That's why a man like Dr. Death could do what he did, murder people. That's why abortion is running rampant in this country. There are too many Dr. Deaths around because Jesus Christ, Dr. Life, has not entered their hearts. We can see the same thing in our way politics are changing in this country. Our founding fathers created this nation with the emphasis on the individual taking care of themselves and their families. The Constitution was written to give protection to the citizen from the government so they could go out and meet their own needs. The individual was responsible for his own quality of life. Today, the Constitution is being ignored. The government is promising to meet everyone's needs so the people don't have to work to meet their needs. Their quality of life is no longer their responsibility. This is destroying the Judeo-Christian ethic upon which this nation was founded and which directly affects how the quality of life is viewed. While there is little we can do to affect our nation's direction at this time, there is something we can do about our own lives. In verse 9, Paul is setting himself up as an example to follow. First, he shows the proper method he uses to get the right quality of life, and that's self-examination. Second, he calls you to hear about his effort to stay in that quality of life, and that's practice the word. Third, he explains the encouragement in living in this quality of life, and that is to follow Jesus Christ. Paul lays out your example. Look at verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul clearly sets himself up as your example with these words. The things which you saw in me will be with you. These are the things that make people gracious. Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. There are those people who try and use this to say Paul is an arrogant man. This man is called of God. He has undergone many troubles in his Christian walk. God has used every one of those problems to mold Paul into a good example for men to follow. He declares he can do all things in Christ. Therefore, this verse must be understood in the full context of this letter. He said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 2.13, he points out, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And in Philippians 3.8 and 9, he makes it very, very personal. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul understood. It was by grace, the grace of God, that he was the man he was, and only by the grace of God. 
This is the heart of all Paul taught. So in setting himself up as an example, he was merely saying, if you want to know what Christ can do for you, look at me. The point I'm trying to make with this is that Paul does what every believer should do. He was examining himself. Paul stopped. He took time to examine his own life and heart. He saw the changes the Holy Spirit made in him over the years. He saw this was not the remaking of the old nature, but the implanting of a new nature. That new nature was the nature of Jesus Christ. Paul saw this new nature growing in him. Because of Jesus Christ, he was now a new creature. He saw the old disappearing and the new coming more and more to the front. This brings up a very, very important matter facing each person as a believer. Are you going to examine yourself as Paul did? The question in your mind may very well be, why? I think there are five very good reasons. First, and understand, this is the only method whereby you can become acquainted with yourself. Unless you stop and examine your life, your thought life, unless you look to see what occupies your mind, you will not really know what your character is or to whom your heart belongs. Understand, it's not enough to just hear the word. Many people hear the word and it never changes their lives. I've had people tell me about a truth I was relating to them. Look, I've already heard that once. I don't need to hear that again. Why? Why would anyone who's a true believer say such? The true believer never objects to hearing God's truth because he knows the truth is his lifeline. Those who say such say it because, yes, they heard it once and it didn't, they didn't know what to do with it then. So why should you want to hear it again if you don't know what to do with it now? It's important. You as a Christian make the word of God your own. How do you do that? You do it by comparing yourself to what you hear from the standard God has given you. As you do that, you will begin to uncover the real you. Now, I must warn you, at first, you won't like what you see. What you will see is very, a very self-centered person. Your motives will be laid bare by God's word, and it's not a pretty picture. So, unless you examine yourself, you'll not uncover your secret desires, your hidden attitudes, and your prejudices. These are sins everyone has and must face. You must ask yourself, what's the truth about me? Lord, what am I? This is a hard thing to do. But it's the only way. The only way you can grow in knowing yourself as God knows you. The second... It's only by self-examination that the sinner comes to the realization he's a real sinner. People today have a real aversion to this process of self-examination. They think, I'm okay. There's nothing really wrong with me. It's everybody else. I'm not guilty. 
My troubles are all caused by others. If my husband would just treat me better, if my wife would just give me more sex, if my teacher would just slow down, if my parents would just give me more, if my boss would just give me a raise, if the government would just provide more stuff, then I wouldn't have to do all these wrong things. Well, it's through self-examination that you begin to see that your troubles really begin in your own heart. As you look into your heart, the hardness of your heart begins to become clear. You hate what you see, but you don't have the strength to overcome it. Left to yourself, you always want to persist in the way of disobedience. You want to live your life your own way. Is this not exactly what God says about all sinners? God must work. He must work by his Holy Spirit to crush the old heart of stone and replace it with a new heart of flesh. The man under self-examination begins to see his sin as displeasing to God and to realize he's justly condemned in his sin. Unless you come to the point you see your sin as an offense to God, you will never see your need of Jesus Christ. You will never recognize your need of a Savior. Dear people, all of this is tied to your willingness to examine your own heart. The third reason comes because it's by commitment to self-examination that the Christian comes to know the reality of his own Christian experience. This is exactly what Paul did in his own life. He looked back. He saw the changes that had occurred. He saw there was something at work and is constantly drawing him back to God. This was happening even in those trying times. Those trying times when he so wanted to rebel and do it his own way. Every Christian knows this feeling and I assure you Paul knew it. There is not a single believer that doesn't at times get frustrated. Everyone feels on occasion as though they might as well give up and forget about God. You've all been there. It can't be explained. Something causing a deeper look inside is just drawing you back to the heart of God. Causing a search for the cause of the frustration. That something, of course, is the Holy Spirit. When the believer does wrong, he has a consciousness of guilt. He's overwhelmed with a sadness about his sin. He hears that ever so small voice saying, you need to confess. You need to repent. It pulls him closer and closer to God, to the one who called him. What ultimately will be the result of all of this? It will be that you find you love the things of God more than the things of this world. You will desire to be with the people of God, even though at times they may rub you the wrong way. You will have an overwhelming desire to worship your God. When you meet another believer, there will be an affinity between the two of you. You can sense the love they have for the same Lord you have. More and more, the believer will grow in his assurance that God has changed him. He will recognize that he is continuing to be changed on a daily basis. John expresses it this way in 1 John 3.21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. There's only one way 
only one way you can have a heart that does not condemn you. That way is through personal self-examination. You must see your sin and deal with it. The fourth reason Paul lays out for this self-examination process is knowledge. Self-examination requires a knowledge of yourself and of God's word. To prepare yourself spiritually requires study. The knowledge you gain through study is an indispensable tool in preparing you to turn away from your own sinfulness and turn to a love for the holiness of God. There is no way you can examine yourself in the light of God's word and not see the sinfulness and not see the weakness of your human nature and thus your overriding need of God's grace. You see, you can't do it yourself. You've got to have Jesus Christ. It's this knowledge that drives you back to God whenever you sinned. From the word, you learn that sin is what fills your every waking moment. It shows you your love of worldly things. You love what you should hate. And you hate what you should love. I know you all experience that. It's the same knowledge that causes you to come before God. Come before him and ask his help in changing you and causing you to love in the right way. This process of self-examination is the only way you can come closer to God. With so many who listen to the word, it goes in one ear and out the other. It is self-examination that causes you to apply its truths to your life. The Bible's not clouded on this issue in any way. Self-examination alongside of Scripture is the main way by which the Holy Spirit enables you to see your need for a new heart and a transformed mind. As a Christian, you see your sinfulness and your need of holiness. As you see that about yourself, you're brought to your knees weeping before God. Your prayer should be a crying out to God for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and change your heart and fill your life with holiness. Fifth, this self-examination is one of the keys to having a proper thought life. It's impossible to be at peace with God when you know you're harboring some sin in your life. It's almost impossible to be at peace with God when you're not at peace with yourself. This is important. You need to be at peace with yourself. You need to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ and all he's done for you. Paul understood this. He said, for me to live is Christ. He was an open book before God. He had no problem with being searched by God daily. I would remind you, Paul was under a great deal of pressure when he wrote this letter. He was imprisoned under the threat of execution. Yet he says he is at peace with God. Why? How can he say that? Because he knows his relationship with Christ is right. Paul constantly practiced self-examination. His thought life was disciplined. It was under the control of God. You but need look at Paul to find a good example 
of what the results of this self-examination will be. You must realize you're a child of the king. You're one of God's people. And the more disciplined your thought life, the more God's peace will guard your heart and mind. Paul gives an exhortation. Look at verse 9 again. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He wants you to see the things that have happened in his life, and he wants you to duplicate those things in your life. Use them in your relationships with others. You must understand your actions are only the outward expression of your inward thoughts. The thoughts which are the rulers of your being. In all men, in all men, there are two personalities, one seen and one unseen. The unseen one is always trying to project on the other. If you're to project these good things he talked about in verse 8, these things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, you must make them the ground of all of your thoughts. This can only happen when you begin to constantly express them while at the same time rejecting the wrong things that come into your mind. And how do you do all this? You begin by meditating on God's Word. In our day, meditation is not as easy as it was in time past. There are so many excuses today. I'm too busy. I miss my favorite TV program. Time is such a valuable commodity today, but meditation is more important than anything else you have to do. It's so important that you spend time meditating on the truths of God's Word. It's important if you desire to know God, if you desire His peace and joy in your life. There's no way to get those things. No easy way. In fact, There's only one way, and that's through meditating on God's Word. You must work at making His Word a part of your very being. How do you make these truths of God's Word a part of your being? It's only by thinking on them, by letting them work to change your world and life view. Many people think they can achieve this by simply going to church two or three times a week, Some believe they can do it even more so before TV personalities. This is not the way to get enough exposure to God's Word. If this is what you think, then I'm afraid you're in really serious trouble. If you're not spending time reading and studying God's Word, then you will never grow. You will not be able to persist in this self-examination. You will fall far short of God's calling. Some will say, Oh, I just don't have time for any of this. Well, my observation is you have time to do everything you want to do. You can find time to work in the garden, to play golf, to watch a movie, or to go shopping. I think you will agree. You always find time for those things that are really important to you. So, maybe it's time to consider how important eternity is to you. Today, many people are talking about their concern over the quality of life. If your life is to have quality, 
you have to get serious about spending time with your God. For you see, when you become serious about your thought life, when you begin to think on truly spiritual things, you will find your heart full to overflowing with the good, the joyful, the wonderful, and the important things of God. This will produce in your life the right actions. You will do these things, which are excellent and praiseworthy. You can see not only the example of Apostle Paul, but also the exhortation to spend time in God's word, fill your heart and mind with God's truth. Paul concludes this section with two encouragements. Look at verse 9 one more time. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Understand, there is no shortage of things upon which you can meditate. You have the entire Bible at your disposal. It's full of the wonderful truths of God. How blessed we are. The Philippians had much less. They had the Old Testament, this letter, and maybe a couple of Gospels. They had few leaders who would really lead. Paul was, was their leader in their Bible. He told them, learn from me and my life. It's important that you understand. You may be the only Bible some people ever see. God working in your life may be confronting others with their own sinfulness. He may be using the circumstances of your life to draw others to himself. You're told no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And the only picture of Christ they may have is him working in your life. I hope this message is clear. You have a duty. A duty to meditate on God's word. You must take what you learn and make it a part of your very being. Through that, your life is changed. Those changes make your life a testimony to others, convicting them and bringing them to Jesus Christ. Paul encourages you to testify of Jesus Christ in thought, word, and deed. This means you must think on the truth. Open your mouth, testify, as well as act in a way to show those truths through your actions. There can be no excuse for silence in any of these areas. Paul continues to encourage you to do all of these things, and he declares, and the God of peace will be with you. This is not to be construed as simply the peace of God, but the God of peace. This God of peace will come. He will live in your heart. He will be the very source of your peace. He will come and bring the peace that surpasses all understanding. This wonderful peace will overflow your life no matter what the circumstances might be. David said it so well in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How can he say that? Why can he say that? For you, O Lord, are with me. God comes into the heart of everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He takes his word and stores it in their heart and causes it to transform their mind. He changes them from one who is unregenerate to one who is regenerate. Dear ones, please understand, there is but one way 
to find the peace and contentment of God. It is to come to Jesus Christ, examine yourself in the light of his word. You must do it, and you must do it constantly, daily. The only way is by meditating on his word until it overflows your heart. If you've not been doing this, I would call you to consider eternity and how you want to spend it. Do you want to spend it in turmoil, never having any peace, or in tranquility, resting in God's peace? Only those who have placed their hope in Christ and in him alone and have been filled with the Holy Spirit can ever know this peace. Those who have been so touched by the grace of God will meditate on God's word and will see their sin and their need of a Savior. They will search the word to learn more and more about this glorious life of peace offered in Jesus Christ. Won't you take up the word of God? Take up the word of God and learn of Jesus Christ. Learn of the peace he has promised to those who are his. Let's pray. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Father, we come this morning in the one you love. We're so thankful for your grace and mercy, for the love you have given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Receive our worship. Pour out your love and grace on us this week. In Christ's name, amen.